Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Welcome to Hollywood and Levine. I am Ken Levine, your podcast host. This is episode 247. There's also uh, part two of my interview with showrunner, writer, creator, Dave Hackle. And this week we talk a lot about Becker. He is the creator of Becker, and he'll talk a lot about the job of showrunning. And it is a very specialized and very difficult one. You will find out all about that. If you missed part one, after you listen to this, go back and check that out. So part two with Dave Hackle, this week on Hollywood and Levine. All right, I want to get into into Becker. You worked on Frasier for a couple of years, and well, um, yeah. let's see if I remember this correctly. In my old age, um, you had written a pilot that was about telemarketers or something. Yeah, and I remember there was like one character in particular who was this acerbic guy, and and I remember David, my partner David Isaacs and I saying, that guy, we love that guy. You should do yeah. something with that guy. Uh, yeah, am, I, am I remembering that correctly? And, and from there, you, you, you turned him into it, Becker? Absolutely correctly. Yeah, I, I wrote a, a, a spec pilot about people that everybody hates and the people who call you on the phone to bother you. Mm-hmm. Um, didn't occur to me that was a bad idea. Uh, but the guy, the guy who worked there was, as you described it, he was a very Beckerish kind of guy. And not only did you guys identify that, but I believe it was Gary Hart at Paramount who said, you know, we don't really like the pilot, but we love this guy. Uh, what could you do with him? And uh, I was thrilled because I love that guy, uh, uh, too. And uh, so I redid it and wrote the Becker pilot. He was a doctor mainly to offset what a prick he could be. Right. Um, Take the know. curse off him a little bit. Yeah. Um, and um, so, you know, I wrote that. Paramount was happy with it. I was happy with it. You and David were happy with it. And that meant a lot. And uh, 
So what to do with it now? I figured that, and, and Paramount agreed, we have to get a piece of talent to go sell this because the character, if you could identify a piece of talent to go with it, it would be easier to sell than say, we have to find this this guy to play this part because it was it was not your feel-good, normal kind of sitcom right. character. So I sent it to uh, a lot of agents and managers with a letter saying what I wanted to do and please look over their client lists and whatnot. So one of the people I sent it to was Ted Danson's uh, manager. He managed a lot of people, uh, Keith Addis. And um, when, when someone at Paramount mentioned, I think it was Dan Fauci, who was a friend of, of uh, Ted's, said, what about Ted Danson? And I, I'll be honest with you, and I've told Ted this, I thought, Ted Danson, he's a great actor, but is he the guy you go to for a sarcastic son of a bitch? I we know. thought the same thing. Yeah. yeah. So uh, so the, the script went out. I don't know who all got it. But one day, uh, my secretary uh, said, uh, Ted Danson's on the phone for you. Well, I'd never gotten a call from Ted Danson. I, so I obviously, I took the call. And he said, um, I read your script. I really liked it. I know you probably don't think I'm right for it. And I don't know if I, I don't think I am either but would you be willing to sit down and just talk to me about it? Of course. You know, uh, when would you like to talk? So I ended up going over to Ted's house on that, that following weekend. And we sat in his living room and talked for at least four hours, maybe more. And at the end of that four hours, it was really clear that we both saw what the show could be. We agreed on that. We liked each other. We had a really good afternoon together and we needed what's the next plan. So the next plan was we decided let's have a reading of the show. Let's get people around a table, actors, call in our friends, get an audience. Uh, you were there. David was there. Some executives from Paramount were there. Ted had his friends there. And the deal we made with it was that if either Ted or I didn't like the way it felt, with Ted being the main character, we could walk away. No harm, no foul. If Ted said, I don't want to do this, that's fine. If I didn't want to do it with him, that was fine with him. And the reading went exceptionally well. And I just remember leaning back in my chair. Ted was, there was one person between Ted and I. And we leaned back and looked at each other. And Ted said, I'm in if you are. And I was, and that's how it began. So, you know, the key to that was have an idea you love and pray that you get Ted Danson to want to do it. <laughs> um, because, and then, and even with that, you still got to get lucky. Ted had a, a deal with CBS. They were looking for a show that Ted wanted to do. And he had this script and they liked the script and how those stars came together I have no idea, but you had to get really lucky for that to happen. Yeah. I also remember you and I and David, about a year or two before, wrote a pilot together that we thought Ted would be good for. And we met with Ted. Remember, we met with him at the grill in the alley. Excuse me. And, And Ted passed on it because the character was very similar to Sam Malone. 
And he said, I don't want to just keep doing versions of Sam Malone. And, you know, he, he proved that he he was very versatile. Uh, Look, you know, I had worked with him for nine years before you got a chance to work with him. You were his showrunner. Talk a little bit about Ted Danson and what an absolute joy it is to have Ted Danson as your actor. Well, you just said it. It's a joy. Um, he uh, He's the best. I mean, we're most always on the same page. I respected his opinion. He respected mine. But he didn't want a producer credit, but I believe he often functioned as a producer on stage because he had so much experience doing four camera shows. He just knew what worked and what was needed and what worked for him and how he, you got such great feedback from him that was so educated in the form. And he set a great example for everyone else, how to behave, how to disagree politely, how to encourage. He's just the best. And and the best takeaway from it after all these years is we're still friends. Um, it was just, you know, you you just knew that if Ted couldn't make it work, it didn't work. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know. Yep. And you trusted that. And you'd never you'd never go back to the room and say, Well, how do we change this just a little bit to make him feel no, you don't want to make him do anything. You want him to love it. And so you wanted to work your ass off to make Ted Danson happy. Because in return you got that performance. And you I'm got sure appreciation. Yeah. You got appreciation yeah. from from Ted. And I, I directed 14 of them. And and I noticed Ted would be very good during the week with rehearsal. And he knew where the jokes were. And he was, like I said, very good. But when the red light went on and the cameras were rolling, yeah. he just stepped it up like, 10% and I can't even quantify exactly what he did maybe a little more reactions or little subtler reactions or how he delivered the line but there was just something about his performance that just came up even more yeah. when when the cameras were rolling he was just such an amazing professional yeah I I can't imagine having a, a, a better experience with an actor. And, and you knew him, like you said, you knew him for those years on Cheers. So you, you knew what to expect down there. But I had never had such a lovely experience. And, yes, boils you, doesn't it? <laughs> oh, it does. It does. Well, you, you notice I haven't rushed to do another one since. <laughs> I was, I wasn't going to get that lucky twice. And the odd thing is... Everywhere that CBS put that show, it did well. It, it got okay. good ratings, yeah. and they just kept moving it around. You know, networks will fall in love with certain shows, and other shows they just, you know, tolerate, I guess. I, I don't know. But, yeah. um, I mean, I and, and recently, uh, you look at Modern Family and The Middle, <laughs> and right. Modern Family got all the ABC love 
and the middle got nothing. And I think what that does is it seeps into the perception of viewers and certainly TV Academy members that it's like, well, this is not a hot show. And as a result, I don't think you get the um, the appreciation. You don't get the Emmy nominations. You really should. And CBS, like I said, you got moved how many times? Boy. <laughs> like five, six. You never knew when the show was on. I, I never knew. It, it, the, the thing about it was, I mean, there were a lot of things that were nice about working at CBS. Uh, they... Uh, they left you alone. They, they gave you very few notes. They weren't trying to micromanage the show. But then, then again, they weren't promoting the show. There was a time there where I thought I should just change the name of the show to Ann Becker because that's all I ever heard. It was, you know, this, King of Queens, everybody loves Raymond, Ann Becker. And we would have terrific guest stars and do an interesting show. And you thought, well, I, I'm sure they'll promote this because we have Dick Van Dyke or we have Hal Holbrook or you know, George Went or Rhea Perlman. You know, the Cheers gang was mini reunion. And Becker. And I never understood. I never understood. You know, and just to underscore what you said, take a look at some of these guest stars. As you said, Dick Van Dyke, Avery Shriver, Gilbert Gottfried, Brenda Vaccaro, uh, Jacqueline Smith, Richard Schiff, John Slattery, Kim Darby, Stephen Wright, John Aston, LeVar Burton, Leonard Nimoy, Hal Holbrook, as you mentioned, George and Rhea, John Cryer, Mary Steenburgen. Mary, yeah, St- Mary did a little bit at the end for us. Kelsey yeah. was on the show. Yeah. Um, and you. And yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we had, we had uh, John Mahoney. Mm-hmm. Damon did did a uh, guest shot for us, and I thought, well, Frazier's the number one show. They'll certainly promote that, and Becker. Yeah, I, I just I didn't understand. I think you have to make good friends with whoever does the promotion. That's the person I missed. I also remember for our one hundredth episode, and when you have a hundred episodes. That's really a milestone. I mean, that's when you cross the uh, River Jordan and can go into syndication. It's a big deal. And uh, and David and I wrote the 100th episode, and I directed right. the 100th episode. And we're going to have a big party, because usually when there's the 100th episode of a show, there's you know a, a whole big celebration, and the network does a whole big rollout and everything else. And we were supposed to be on a Sunday night, and we all met at a restaurant, and the NFL football game went over. So they decided to adjust the lineup, and they preempted us. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's like for our big hundredth episode. You're preempted. And Becker. Yeah, and and Becker. Okay. Um, I want to get into show running now, because you were the mm-hmm. showrunner of Becker, also of, of Wings. And I've worked with uh, a lot of showrunners, and honestly, you are one of the best, certainly one of the most organized. And I thought you are a great guy to talk to 
about what that job is because people don't realize it. They think, oh, okay, you're a showrunner. Great. You know, you're the boss. You just get to make all the decisions. And I've always maintained that, like, next to directing an epic sword and sandal movie, (laughs) being a showrunner (laughs) is the hardest job (laughs) in show business. I always want to do a sword and sandal uh, sitcom, but I never... uh... I've never yeah. even heard that before. Yeah, on on stage. Yeah, yeah. do in front of the audience. Yeah. Um, at the beginning of a season, would you go into a season with a calendar and try to work out, okay, I, I need to have so many stories broken by this date. I need to have so many scripts by this date. Um, how would you go into a season? Um, a, a couple things that you said is, or what I try to do. One is I try to begin each season with a rough idea of where I hope the show and the characters would be by the end of the season. In other words, was there an arc for the show? Was there an arc for a character? And you can write to that and sort of look at the season and go by this time, let's hope that so-and-so has met someone fallen in love and then they can start to fall out of love and break up by the end, whatever, whatever Mm -hmm. the arc was. Uh, So that was sort of in just really rough, but, you know, being organized, I don't know, that was certainly my goal, but if I was, I think Ken, it was, it was driven by fear. (laughs) Um, Everything in Hollywood is driven by fear. Fear that I'd screw it up, fear that I'd let people down, fear that I wouldn't handle the budget right. Uh, I tried to control the things I could and then always expect the unexpected, which never failed to happen. Yeah. Um, as you know, it doesn't matter how much preparedness you, you have. Um, there always is a point on the calendar where you will be hopelessly behind. And I have no idea how that happens, but you can have all your shows broken before you do the first one, and you'll still find a place on the calendar where everything goes to shit. Um, Because you never know what's going to happen. An actor gets sick and can't show up. The network decides to, uh, you know, we're going to have double your fun on NBC, and that that means we're going to show two episodes this week. And you go, no, don't do that because I don't have one ready for next week. So all of a sudden, your plans went out the window. Uh, NBC did that to me once on Wings. Uh, Four Weddings and a Funeral was a big hit movie at the time. So in their brilliance, they decided to do sitcom week, four funerals and a wedding all in one night. So apparently one of their shows had a wedding story planned. Uh, So my job was to come up with a funeral show. Well, that wasn't in my plans. So whatever I was going to do the next week went out the window and I had to come up with the show that had a funeral in it. Uh, All I tried to do was make the best use of pre-production and hiatus weeks. A lot of people saw those as times that we can all go to lunch, we can all go to the beach. uh, It's not a problem. I just thought I would love to have 12 or 13 stories broken and everybody on the staff have a script in by the time we begin. That was always my goal. Um, right. And, and like you said, uh, I, you know, I remember uh, you were in the middle of production one week and 9-11 happens. Yeah. And like, okay, 
how does that affect? And like currently, you know, you look at all of the shows, or multi-camera shows, and last year the pandemic hits. Okay, Absolutely. how do you how do you deal with that? Um, yeah, it uh, you know, or the network wants you to fire an actor, so now all of the shows that he was in, you have yeah. to rewrite. Or like you oh, said, an actor gets pleurisy. We had that yeah. on uh, on Cheers, where uh, the coach, uh, you know, Nick Colasanto, had pleurisy and uh, was taken off the set by an ambulance. And he was in 80% of the show. Well, that was a long night. You got to come up with something else. Yeah. Absolutely. We had that on Wings. The first year that I ran Wings by myself, um, we had had a great pre-production. I got, I think, 12 or 13 shows broken and, and written. And we were just sailing. And before the first one film, Tom Hayden Church quit the show. Mm. And so all of the, you had to unthread him, not only from the stories that were about him, but you had to unthread him through all the other scripts. And so, you know, I was so proud. Well, this is going to be such an easy year. It was horrible. We, because all the shows that we had done had to be redone. Uh, before we even started. So, you know, that happens. Um, but, you know, you asked me once, you know, that people always said to you, well, what, what's your typical day working? Mm-hmm. Who, who knows? <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, uh, what I always told people was once I used to come into the office a little early to have some time to do some work by myself. But once anybody knew you were there, and I'm sure this was the same for you and David, there's a line outside your door and you spend the rest of the day answering questions. Which actor, which word, which couch, which shot, which dress, which you're just giving your opinions all day long. And in that typical day, you're asking, answering all those questions, but you're also breaking new stories and going to casting and going to editing and going to writer's room and going to rehearsal. It it's it's like getting on a hamster wheel in June and not getting off until April. Some days it's running like crazy. Other days, not the. It's not always horrible. Sometimes it's a great week. It's smooth. It's easy. You're having fun, but it's it's uh, it's a lot of work. Um, the the thing though that I always try to remember, it's not like you had to send Mary in first. We weren't in a coal mine. Even on my worst day, I laughed out loud because I'm with some of the funniest people in town. So on the horrible days, you laughed out loud. Yeah. And it's it's tough sometimes because, yeah, there is so much pressure and so much else going on that you have to step back and go, hey, we're doing a comedy show here. Yeah. And and I know one of the things that I learned to do in terms of compartmentalizing was when you got your writers together and you were sitting in a room doing a rewrite, forget about everything else. Okay. Just work on the rewrite and focus on that and focus on having fun 
and then yeah. then I'll deal with the crushing pressure afterwards. But for Good these advice. three four hours, you know, concentrate on this. And it's tough, but you know, so much of show running and even being a comedy writer is is from experience and learning. I mean, you talked a lot about um, that line producer who exposed you to scoring and editing and casting and all of those areas that you need to have a background in, in order to do the job well. Also, you know, concentrating on the rewrite only is such great advice. And I, and I wish you'd given it to me a number of years ago, (laughs) Um, but it, uh, it also helped every once in a while to remember at least for me, I got to remember, you're doing what you always wanted to do. Mm-hmm. You, some Someone's allowing you to do this. I mean, it, it was it's fantastic. And, and I never thought it was going to, you know, there were years there where I didn't know if that was going to happen. Um, so, I, I, you know, learning to be grateful about it. And also, you know, we were lucky... Um, you worked at 20th for a long time. I spent most of my career at Paramount and you guys came back to Paramount when at Cheers, right? Mm-hmm. And you were there from that point yeah, on. We were there for years. about 20 years. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, and we were lucky that, I mean, when we, fir- when I first was there and when you first were there, we had, uh, John Pike and John Symes as the executives who did we agree with everything they said? I'm sure we didn't, but they were always good guys who helped you get things done. And later in our career, we had McCluggage and Gary Hart. We, did we agree with everything? And did they agree with us all the time? No, but boy, you could always get Gary Hart on the phone to help you solve a problem. And I've heard, I've heard uh, stories from people at other lots where it was such an, antagonistic relationship with the studio or with the network. And, uh, you know, uh, we didn't have that. So that made the job a little easier, don't you think? Absolutely. I I think in many ways, like MTM in the 70s was Camelot. You know, you had great writers and you had Grant Tinker and and it was really a a wonderful experience. And I think Camelot 2.0 was paramount in the 80s and 90s. Um, You had, again, terrific management. You had really good shows, and it was kind of like a college. And we all knew each other from all the different shows. And, you know, how late was your rewrite night? And uh, (laughs) I heard your show went through the roof uh, last Tuesday night, that type of thing. And, you know, we shared uh, crews among the shows and uh, we consulted on each other's shows. And if one of us had a pilot, uh, the others worked on it when we did almost perfect and you weren't on a show, you consulted for us and right. we consulted for you. And yeah, it really was kind of like Camelot. I mean, that that's when we, you said before, and I always try to correct people. You said, well, you know, I know you, uh, you worked on Frasier for a number of years and you go, well, yes, I was, I was a consultant on Frasier, but if there was ever a show that didn't need any help, let alone my help, (laughs) it was Frasier. By the time I got there in the week, those shows were so tight and so well done and the hard work had already been done 
that I sat there going, well, you know, we would be talking about future stories, but I, uh, I'm happy to have it on my resume, but believe me, I did so little on that show. I was just proud to be in the neighborhood. You know? Yeah, I think it's very important to have a guy come in like on Friday and go, it works. Yeah. That's very, that's very important job. <laughs> I, did you did you ever work with Ellison and Lloyd? Where and I started as I said, I worked with them on on Dear John and on Wings, and then uh, uh, Bob was with us on Becker. But when they were working on the same show, they each did a different night, right? And so, so David would do the uh, reading day, and if we and it's sometimes we'd have to for Ed Weinberger, we'd have to rewrite the entire show after the reading. And if there came a really tough spot after David dictated most of the script off the top of his head, there would be a, a tough blow or something. You go, ah, that's, that's SFE. Let's keep going. And I finally figured out that meant save for Ellison. Mm -hmm. and, then, and then Bob would come in the next day and we'd be working on a show for the next week. He'd go, oh, that's definitely SFL. Let's keep going. <laughs> That's saved for Lloyd. And I always figured that you and you and David, I don't know, we didn't call it SFL and SFI, but uh, I think you two probably. We did the same thing. Your, your codes between. We, your we did the same thing because I, I was there the day before David yeah. and we would hit a rough spot and I would say, you know, there's a guy, <laughs> this kind of joke is right in his wheelhouse. Save this for David. We could take yeah. a half an hour and do it now, or David will come up with it in three minutes. So, so just leave it for David, you yeah. know, and then he would, he would come in two days later and go, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> this is my partner, ladies and gentlemen, throwing yeah. me under the bus. Yeah. Whatever happened to those two? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. She's <laughs> doing podcasts. <laughs> anyway, it was a great time. It was great working with you. And, uh, you know, there are a lot of people still who love Wings, who love Becker, and uh, two shows that I'm extremely proud to be a part of. And thanks to you for letting me be a part of it. Okay, there you go. I don't have any parting gifts. Well, I still have a couple of blows left over from Almost Perfect. I'll send them to you. Okay, great. <laughs> I'll okay. use them. Thanks, Ken. This was fun. And there you go, our two-parter with Dave Hackle. If you want to get in touch with me for any reason, my email address is hollywoodlevine at outlook.com. That's hollywoodlevine at outlook.com. I'm on Twitter at Ken Levine. I'm on Instagram, Hollywood and Levine. Our thanks as always to Adam and Susie Meister Butler, to Howard Hoffman, John Wolfert, Bruce and Jason Miller. Thank you for listening. Back again next week right here on Hollywood and